because I've got something of this amplified I'd, I'd like to read you. Our lesson today is found uh, in the uh, third chapter of James. And uh, I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. How many Bibles do you have within the house? Would you raise your hand? All right. Thank you very much for bringing it. We would like for you to bring it um, each time. But, of course, if you don't bring it, I don't think you've committed a sin. It really wouldn't be my place to say whether you had or had not. But in the third chapter of James, I would like to read verses 6 through 8. And then I'm going to do a reread or rereading in 1 and 26. And the thing that I would, uh, are a part of this subject, we're talking about the sin of the tongue and the <clears throat> dimension of that that I'd like to talk to you about today, the uncontrolled tongue disqualifies the Christian. I don't care how much you shout. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how, how spiritual we might assume or propose to be. If we cannot control our tongue, then our religion is in vain. And 90% of all church problems come out of the mouth. So you can see uh, how affected that we might or could be. Now you listen carefully to the reading here. And uh, why don't you read aloud with me? Would you do that? Let's have a class reading. Let's don't read too fast, and we'll just uh, take our time. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now, brother, if you don't think those verses are loaded, Now then, if you have an Amplified, I'm going to read from Amplified. This is a translation that I like very much. I have just about all translations that they ever printed. Maybe a few. I even got a Catholic Bible. I even got the New English Bible. 
and that is a pitiful translation of my intelligence. It changed the continuity of thought and implication in a lot of that translation. That's a neo-supernaturalist translation, but I mean, that's a committee that does not believe in the virgin birth, literal heaven and hell, no blood atonement, no non-validity of the scriptures, and no original sin. It's on the market. There are some good things in it, but it embraces something that is very, very dangerous. And the reason that I am acquainted with many of these things is because I taught that course eight years in college. I should have all of those things memorized. I don't, but a great many of them I do. I could never forget them. You'd have to take all my brains out and give me a new set of brains to ever forget some of the things. And um, the things I want to remember, I remember. And you can do the same thing. That doesn't mean I'm smart. What is smart? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't know what you. I don't know what you mean. Uh, if you used to give me the ma uh, uh, a mathematician book, I never did learn anything about that stuff. That is the most horrible concoction that was ever cataloged and sewed together, and stuck in the hand of a child, and anticipated his learning. And geometry is like speaking in Greek or Hebrew or Latin or French. Now, of course, some of you speak French. You speak one phase of it. And uh, so I don't know what you mean when you say that fella is smart. I don't really know. What would you have to know to be smart? Tell me and we'll both know. And I'm sincere about that. You have to learn enough to know you do not know. And then you can learn. You know what Shakespeare said about knowledge? Drink deep or drink not at all. A little knowledge will puff you up and make a fool out of you. But when you learn enough to know you do not know, then you'll know you are not smart. And that everybody you meet can teach you things. And it's so nice to arrive at that cool place. You just drop all of your vanity. And if somebody asks you a question, it's so easy to say, I don't know. <laughs> it's a beautiful place to arrive at. And uh, so God bless you today. Now, if I say something today, that you do not agree with me about, please don't get a bad spirit. Just uh, try to be patient with me, would you? And if you say something that I don't agree with, I ain't gonna get mad at you. So we need to learn to be tolerant and kind because you can be so highly opinionated about anything until if somebody crosses your little trail, 
it could squeeze something out of you that's not motivated by the Holy Spirit. And it would be bad for that kind of a display to be had in public. If I were going to squeeze anything out of anybody, I'd like to get off behind the house where nobody would see us. And so we'd try not to run it in, in the Shreveport Times. I don't think we need to ever advertise our carnality or our little old different opinions. Uh, now, you listen to this amplified here, James 3. <clears throat> and you can read along with me. And the reason that I oftentimes use this in Bible study, and this might sound a little strange to you, and then again it may not. It gives a closer meaning to the actual original language in which the New Testament was written. It makes it more colorful. Have you ever seen flowers that had a lot of color in them? And then have you seen some of these pale-faced things called flowers? Uh, someone one time asked me about the Rose of Sharon, what did it look like? Um, it's a very sickly looking plant. It has a little daub of yellow right in the center and almost looks like the Lord run out of yellow when he put that little drop in there. And it's a very delicate plant it would be easy to be ill-mannered to it, and it couldn't take much crushing or force to just destroy it completely. I think that's the reason, or one of the reasons, that it may have been illustrated as a metaphoric illustration, or by that some type of an analogy or an example. He is like the Rose of Sharon. He is so tender and so sweet, it doesn't take much to grieve him out of us. But despite our ill-manneredness, he still loves us. And all the mess that we're in, and of all of the traditions that some of us have, couldn't prove it by the Bible if your life depended on it. And you want to send everybody to hell because they don't swallow your little idea. Now, we need to grow up. <clears throat> now, notice. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth. Now, he's, he said something when he says it like that. Setting on fire the wheel of birth. In other words, the very embryonic, the very first principles, the very root of what we really are 
if our tongue is not properly controlled, it can agitate and frustrate and tear up and mock some of the very, very beginning stages of human life. Now, I don't know whether you believe this or not, and sometimes I don't know whether I believe it or not, so don't get excited about my saying it. They tell me there is such a thing as prenatal culture, that it is possible to mark a child by some type of an emotional outburst. I really don't know whether that's true or not, Brother McGee, but I have been told that all of my life. But that may be like some of the other things I've been told all my life till I found out better that ain't a thing to it. The tongue has such a depth of ally in the life of man until an unborn fetus can be disturbed about the work of the tongue. That's what he's saying right here. The cycle of man's nature. Have you ever wondered why that we are made like we are made? Why didn't God make our legs square and our head square and our eyes square and our fingers square and our body square? Why did he choose to, to employ the emphasis of a sphere or a circle? Have you ever noticed how many things about you that are round? What if your head was square? We would look more oddly than we do. Everything that fills the, co the cosmology, that is, it has to do with all the galaxies and the stars and everything, that's all round. Why isn't that square? Why didn't they make this thing square? Why didn't they make that square? What's wrong with us? Are we all going around beans? <laughs> Have you ever looked at your, your hand and you tried to imagine if that was square? Somebody said you're being ridiculous. I'm not being ridiculous. I'm just postulating. I'm just analyzing. I'm just philosophizing. And when you philosophize about anything, you ask yourself some questions. 
And when you use common sense, you don't use any sense at all. I want to prove that to you. When you got up this morning, did you philosophize whether you should wash your face or not wash your face? What did you do? You got up and you went and washed your face. You didn't, you didn't study about it. Now, tomorrow, when you need a bath, and the most of us need one every day, are you going to philosophize whether you're going to bathe or not bathe? Are you going to go to bed tonight and not go to bed tonight? No. You just, we're a creature of habit. It doesn't take any sense to do that. You know, you just, you just act and react. And when I look at you, hold your seat. I am looking into the face of an eternal subject. You're not ever going to die. And you can believe this or let it alone. We are only in eternity. It's already begun for us. Now just think about it a moment. Just think about it. We are, we are already there. We don't have to get there. We, we have arrived. The day you let out your first yelp is when it started. And when I look at you, I look at a God. But I don't look at a Redeemer. You can create things. You have the ability. Brother, if you don't believe we can create things, you look at all that moon buggy and all that moon rocks and all that moon business and all that moon stuff. And they developed a Saturn V rocket that could, uh, speed has to equal 25,000 miles an hour to make z gravity zero. And uh, would you believe, I wouldn't have believed it when I was a little boy, and would you believe I've got a mate, poor little old silly thing. She don't think they've ever been to the moon yet. She said, now, Brother Dees, they just got some rocks over here on a hill somewhere. I said, that's right, dear. They got them on a hill, all right. But I said, it's on that moon hill. <laughs> I said, Hattie, don't tell anybody that because they don't know that, you know, how foolish you are. I said, I don't want them to think you're that foolish. So, uh, everything that we're doing, right now is either helping us or hurting us. God will either justify you by his blood or he will not justify you or he will not approve. Now we've got an advocate with the Father at all times. There's that propitiation. The wrath of God against sin Nail the man Christ to the cross. And what was a judgment seat became a mercy seat. That's the same way in the tabernacle. When the blood hit the top of that uh, Ark of the Covenant, over which the cherubims faced each other, wingtip to wingtip, face to face, 
That which was a judgment seat, when the blood of that animal touched that mercy seat, their sins were pushed on one more 12 months. Nobody's sins was ever remitted. They were forgiven, but not remitted, not put away forever. But when the Lamb of God offered his blood in the, in the heavens of the heavens, not made with hands, for the sin question had been dealt with. And if you sin, are you doing something that's wrong? You're deceiving your turn. You're an advocate. You're a You're a propitiation. And that blood is there to like it. If you got enough to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, oh God, just this moment it's gone, don't you never let the devil cram it down you anymore. That's just how quick it's gone. And it's always there. It's constant. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. But not too many people know what real forgiveness is. It means you pay the other fellow's debt and let him go free. And you don't talk about it and you don't brag about it. So we've got that in Christ. Now the law can't condemn us anymore. But the devil will pick it up and try to do it. See, God loved us enough. He gave us a perpetual plan. And he'll keep you. You're justified by faith. You're justified by faith. You're justified by faith. You're justified by faith. You're justified by faith and counted right. That's what all the book of Romans is about. All right. So the tongue has the ability to deal or affect the very first principles of human relationship. And if we are an eternal subject, then we need to know how to use this organ of speech. And some of us at various times have been very careless with it, not realizing the total destruction and the anathema or curse that is allied to the ability of speaking words. Now, don't hold up your hand because we'd all have to do it, so I don't want to embarrass anybody. But how many of you have ever said or had said to you something that made you feel real horrible? So it's, a, it's something else. It will affect the cycle of man's nature being itself ignited by hell. And that word hell in English comes from the original language, Gehenna. That means the real fire. The word Hades means a separated place from the dead and as it, as it uh, means uh, in in Greek and Hebrew, it means the place of the dead. But this tongue that we've got is ignited by the word of fire. And it's the kind of ignition that ignites hell. 
and then you tell me. I gave you that little uh, little analogy. It said, "Watch your tongue, for it is in a slicky place." All right. Then 1 and 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bright is not his tongue, but deceiveth himself in his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Now then, the tongue defiles the whole body. Notice, mind, heart, soul, and spirit, if you have an outline. It's the bottom of page 2. All right, notice now. The tongue is a fire set by hell itself. The very climate of evil, the very consummation of evil, the very, very apex of evil, evil in its most mature state, That's the thing that works on you and me. The tongue can no man tame. How many of you have ever heard a parrot talk? All right. And did you know right now there's a, there's a particular sociologist that's teaching a chimpanzee? Words and the little old hairy thing already knows over a hundred words. But we are the only creature in the world that has the ability to express ourselves in the wordage or the word usage that we have. It's a blessing, but at the same time, it can be an equal amount of curse. It's like the uh, person that time that came to uh, a certain individual and uh, he said, I would like for you to forgive me because this that I told on you was a lie. It was not the truth. And the man said, I will forgive you. He said, what do we do about it? He said, well, what can we do about it? So he got him a sack of feathers. The wind was blowing real strongly that day. He got on the pinnacle of the barn. He untied the string of the sack and he turned it loose. He said, go pick up all those feathers. He says, I can't. He said, neither can we fix all of the things that was unfixed by the lie you told You know, a good safety valve 
that I learned before I uh, well I learned I just learned it because I did not know it's hard for me to imagine and I never like to look in anybody's face and say that you are not telling me the truth. I'm not a con man. I don't know how to talk that language, and I don't know how to deal with those kind of people. Anymore, when I repeat anything that I hear, I will say if I feel it's wise to repeat it. I do not know whether this is true or not, don't really take any stock in it. I was talking to a lady one time, a very good friend of mine, and she was a lady minister. And so she told me some kind of big bear tale. And at that time, I wasn't but about 35 or 36 years of age. She said, now, Brother Dees, what do you think about that? I said, if I will not appear to be unkind to you, I do not believe one word of that. I said, now, I am not saying that you have borne false witness. I am saying that I do not believe that. Well, it offended her, and I apologize for saying that. Not for thinking that, nor believing that, but saying it to her. I'm sorry that she wasn't any more of an adult than that. She said, why is it that everything that I tell you, you never believe me? I said, do you really want me to tell you? Will this offend you if I tell you this? I do not accept your source of validity. I don't accept your source of knowledge. If Pentecostal people can ever learn this one thing, that things that are bad, why do you want to talk about it? All right. Yes. All right. All right. What is the advantage of talking about it? How are you going to improve spiritual stature? How are you going to act gracefully? to a person's character, to a anybody in this fellowship does something that I feel, maybe it isn't wrong, but maybe I feel that it's wrong. I don't want to repeat that to you. And sorry to say, sometimes leadership can come home and try to relate some things that happen at a conference that churches do not need to know about. It's only for people who understand administrative guidelines. Now, let me ask you this. Sometimes you meet people and they'll say, Just always coming to me telling me these fairy tales. There's a reason. 
Somebody said, I just don't know how it is that I get all the gossip. I'm going to tell you why you're going to get it. How you get it. And I'm not going to pull no punches with you. That's it. I just don't understand. They It's because that you are employing your ears as a garbage pail. And they find a certain amount of security in you about their gossip. Right. And that's why they test it. They find comfort in you. And if the truth was known, But you ain't gonna tell nobody that. Aren't we strange? Have you ever had anybody tell you anything on anybody, and the first thing you saw, boom, there it was. Like a loaded day. Yeah. That's why they told you. They may have envied you, you and that person's friendship. Boy, that envy. That's a green-eyed monster. Yes, it is. That's an underground agent. That's a communistic conspiracy. That's a fascist form of government. It's a seditionist. It's an ugly, stinking, rotten, filthy, yellow-backed-out condition. Envy. When I see the word, I think of a whole monster with great, big, bulging eyes about like a frog's got. And he's got green moss all over him. And he is a professional at vomiting. His belly is a volcano. It's like the fellas one time that went hunting. And all of these boys were telling each other, you know, about what their weaknesses were. And all of them had talked except one bird. He hadn't said a word. And he was the last man to speak. And he said, you know what my weakness is? It's gossiping. I can't wait to get back to town to tell everything you guys has told me. Dear Jesus, I don't like molded bread. There are some things that I know is the truth within our fellowship that I'm not about to talk about, Brother McGee, because my talking about it will not heal it. Anybody can criticize. Very few people will attempt to correct a malady, and less than that few will attempt to put together a remedy or a panacea that will correct the malady. Yes. So why mention it? 
A dog that will take a bone will carry a bone. If I go and I'm around somebody who is always eternally criticizing other people and pouncing on them about things, I'm standing there wondering what bear tale they're going to tell on me when I leave. And you're not back. You couldn't pride my knuckles with a pole as long as it's sanctioned. I'm not saying anything. I am learning. I am listening. He is saying here that the tongue will, will uh, affect the mind. It will affect the body. Anything that affects the mind affects the physiological organic functions of a human body. It affects the heart. What is that? That is the true you. That is the very center of you and your decision-making process. That is the judge. That is the jury. That is the legislative element. That is the part of you that has the ability to change. And last but not least, it affects the soul and the spirit. And anything that is that infectious or that affects that many things, there is no possible chance of my being too careful about what I say. Let me give you an example. Here, very long ago, I say very long ago, it's been about a year ago. There was, a, there was an executive that came to my office. And I'm saying this now. If you've got a Cadillac, that's not any of my business. But I'm just saying he had a great big long black Cadillac in his best pistol field. And he was Mr. Astor. Because I imagine the man makes $50,000 a year. I really don't know. That may not be true, so don't quote that. <laughs> Einstein says all generalities are false even unto this statement, so forget about it. And so here he comes in and sits down. And when he comes in and sits down, he just says to me and called a fellow's name, said, I'd like to know what you know about him. Well, he hit the wrong guy. So since he was as plain as he was, here was my defense mechanism. I said, I don't feel that I have the right to discuss this man's name or his morals are involved without his being here. Well, he looked at me. And I said, how badly do, would you like to know about this? Oh, he said, Brother D, he said, I'd really like to know. I said, all right. If you want to know as badly as you appear you want to know, why don't you go ask the man? A lot of times, a lot of people comes to pick you. They're going to let you do their homework in gossip. 
and you are stupid enough to open your big mouth and tell everything you know when you ought to be prayerful enough and wise enough and maybe you need to lay your hands on your head and ask God to give you some wisdom that you don't let some pseudo plastic so-called New Testament individual come and siphon all they have you so they can meet somebody else and tell them what all you said plus all the other said plus all the other said and when you get through it's almost a newspaper. Right. So he sat there a few minutes. I, I knew I disarmed him. I didn't intend to do anything but disarm him. He wasn't about to come pop himself down in my office and me read off some things. And besides, the question he asked me, I had heard the same thing. But I never did tell him I had heard that. I wasn't about to let him even hear me say that. I said, I will not feed any of your ego one little iota of gossip. And he said, well, I appreciate you being that forthright about it. I said, thank you very much. There is no charge on it. What does it affect? The Bible says it's an unruly people. The tongue can no man tame. The only way in the world that you and I will ever get to where we can talk right to people is to love the Lord with all of our I am saying to you without reservation, the love of God can conquer and that's the only thing that will that's the only thing that will the tongue has a way of contending for what the flesh wishes to do it's one of man's most opportune instruments of vengeance you watch people when they get angry at the things they say. What you are doing when you are allowing your emotions to be undisciplined, you are avenging yourself of the buried hostility that you may have picked up when you were a child and you got big enough to take it out on somebody and you've carried it with you all of your life. That's exactly the reason that people murder people is because they had a talent for a father. He did not allow them to ever uh, say anything, ask any questions about his rigid and tyrannical discipline. And they drove that hostility into the very cycle of the nature of that child. They one of the worst whippings I ever got when I was a child, I must have been about 12 years of age. My father liked to beat me to death. How many of you, oh Lord, God have mercy, this is where they grew it, I believe. These uh, 
What they call these things that make fishing poles out of? Cane. All right. Is that it? Just cane? That's not sugar cane. That's just cane. All right. Uh, my father uh, had uh, gone somewhere on Black Lake. Now, well, I don't know which way that is from here. And uh, I think that's where they got, uh, and they got a dam across that thing somewhere back up in the northern part of the state. All right. And that they had gathered some of these things. Now, when I was a child, you swept under the house. <laughs> Brother, you could, uh, I don't care if the planks was that wide and it's three inches apart, and you could watch the old roosters and the hens in the daytime cooling off. They get under there. Well, you still got under there. You got under the house and swept under the house. And grass, if they found one sprig, they'd dig it up by the roots. All yards had no grass. And we take these things. You see, I'm a country boy. And, uh, and, uh, and they take them things, and they was about, I would imagine, about six feet long, and they'd make a yard broom out of it. And gentlemen, boy, that would sweep the leaves and all the chicken feathers and everything. My brother and I were tying those things together in the smokehouse. We didn't smoke anything in there, but I don't know why they called it that, but they did. And would you believe, just about the time I get ready to tie that thing so it would hold, you know, you put so many of them in a bundle. You have a bundle about so big around. <clears throat> He'd jerk it out of my hand, and I'd miss the tie. Because he was four years my junior. And I said, this is typical, brothers. I said, the next time I see him, I'm going to let him have it. I'm not going to try to hold it. And he was. his eye. But that's how dumb I was. I never thought about his eyes. I just thought about getting it back. And get it. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried and my envy got the best of me. And so I let him have it and it hit him in the face. He screamed like somebody had shot him with a loaded gun. My father ran out there and whipped out one of those canes and broke the skin all over my back until I bled. That's the nearest time that my mother liked to kill my dad. <laughs> When she came out there and saw my shirt bloody and it sticking to me, my father never asked me one question about how it happened. If it had, he would have beat me. That's the beauty of being the oldest one. <laughs> and sometimes the hostility that you have in your life as an adult, it is a stockpile of a psychological 
Moreover, that comes from a tyrannical and a despotic and an unearthly power. And when you do get big enough, you wait now. The first time that somebody messes with me, I'm going to say everything I'm big enough to say, and I'm going to try to knock both of his eyes into one. And I'm going to stomp his liver out. It's because that you're doing to that poor darling what you want to do to everybody else that did what you did to you up until that time you want to kill For all the things that society has done to you, that's what makes friends. Well, let me tell you about myself. That's a poor thing to talk about. We were so poor when I was a little tiny fella in that depression when Roosevelt closed all the banks. And I had relation that lost thousands of dollars. If you were any poorer than we were, you never got grown. It buried you. Boys, you never made it. You might have tried, but you never made it. Bless his Lord. Why? I'm going to school. With my hair freezing on my head, I have been so cold until I would cry like somebody was whipping me. I have eaten out of garbage cans. I was so hungry. I went to school all day long without one bite of food in my stomach. And when the children finished their lunches, and everybody got out of the auditorium where we ate. I would go to the garbage pail and go through the sacks to see if I could find me something to eat. And I did that so long until finally I got mad. I got so mad until it was unearthly. I hated almost everybody except my own family. Because there were some things, and me a child, that I thought could have been differently. Maybe it wouldn't have been differently. I don't know. And so I got so bitter. I got so full of hatred. I got so full of envy. Because everything they had at school, I didn't have on patched clothes. I had on quilted clothes. They patched the patches. They patched the patches. They patched the patches. So, all of the school functions that I could participate, they wouldn't look my way. 
and I knew why. I wasn't fit to be seen at a rooster fight. I was clingy. Boy, you better believe that. My mother would have scrubbed me, and they made soap in that days out of good grease. That was our homies, Honey and Alman, and Jerkins. And not because my face was red and sharp, being a tractor goat tailor, I don't know who in the name of common sense ever told that woman of mine called my mother about that. I'd have rather had my face that way than to smell that goat. And then put that goat on me. And when I got me mad, but I never said anything. Oh God, you talk about a woman that was the law west of the papers. Dear God, in Jesus' name, I didn't open my mouth. I just went to bed smack. And I heard about a hear and smoke that and I got so aggravated I didn't know what to do. I said, if all the people living in this community lives like this, I am crazy. Because I don't believe they have to live like this. I said, so I got to leave to find out if I'm the goof or they're the goof. And if they're crazy, I'm sorry. If I'm not, I'm not. So when I got about 15, I begged my mother to let me go live with my grandmother. And when I got out of that place, I found out that they just had small vision. And I thanked God from that day until this one, because my grandmother taught me about her God. That's the only reason So a lot of times, your emotional upsurges and your little cantankerous fits, that's not very nice to say fits, I'll call them seizures, may stem back from your childhood and then a lot of times parents will say a lot of things to their children that was said to them and they will want their children to do some things that they didn't ever do. They will want them to achieve heights that they never got to but they wanted to. And when I was about 35 years of age, I read an article in the paper written by a syndicated column, and I saw C. L. D.'s portrait. I went to Sister D.'s and I said, come here, I want you to read something. And when she read it, I said, who's 
portrait do you think that might be? And she is a very, very sweet lady and very, very kind. And she said, that is your picture. I said, thank you for agreeing with me because it's the truth. I was buying my oldest son little things I wanted when I was a boy. All the toys and the fruit and the candy I ever got once a year. Do you people remember when they made peanut patties as big as a surf bucket lid? And you could buy the stinking things for five cents. That's the kind of candy I bought when I got a nickel, which wasn't but about once, maybe every three or six months. And I would gnaw on that little peanut patty and put the rest of it in my pocket, and I'd eat on that thing a whole week. And the clothes that I did not have when I was a child, I was buying them for my little boy. And he looked like King Saud's son. He was dressed like a princess. So sometimes when you say something, that you might say, if you will be honest, it may go way back to your childhood. And the resentment that you might feel may be coming from a home that was highly rigid. And the person in that home that represented authority didn't show any real love and concession to the child. Therefore, the same psychological bias that your parent had, you will invariably give to your child. And a lot of times, get a person the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand. And I'm not saying anything all about it. When you get the Holy Spirit, and God forgives you of your sins, and you get baptized in Jesus' name, somebody does something to you, and your pride is wounded. When your pride is wounded, all of the dirty, little, stinking, rotten things that happened to you when you were a child starts talking back to you. And you will say, I am not putting up with any more of that. Oh, is that the way it's done? And all the time, the sweet Lord that we have 
is letting you be tried so he can reach away down in your heart and get all of that debris that has settled in your nature. And he's letting those things be said so that you eventually will wake up to all of the bitterness and the envy and the malice and a lot of times the unforgiveness that you have. And he's trying as it were to get that out with a cup. And you are kicking like an overhead child that has just lost their stick of candy. And so many times, some children of God will say, Well, if that's what it takes to live for God, I ain't coming back no more. Well, you poor little simpleton. The Lord is trying. And that's why that some of us, I've had some trials for years. Same thing. And one day, I suppose I got aggravated. I don't know what this would be. I I haven't, I'm not smart enough to name it. I said, dear Lord, do you mind telling me what you're trying to do? What's the matter with me? What's all this about? <laughs> I found out. And I'm still praising him for finding out. Your trials and your cross is what will develop you spiritually unless you are so biblically illiterate and so utterly unoriented until you will not let God try you, you're going to be an Esau. You're going to be a Nepalaser. You're going to be a Belshazzar. You're going to be a Nebuchadnezzar. And God may have to turn you out like he did Nebuchadnezzar on the wild terrain of the mountains of death before he can ever come Before you're full of bitterness, you're full of envy, you're after all, your mouth is your broadcasting system. Didn't the Bible say that from the abundance of the heart, what speaks? Say, say, my, say, my, say, my. Why don't we accept it? Why don't we accept it? Anytime that something comes up and you act unseemly, why don't you start talking to yourself a little kind of bit and say, 
Could you please mind explaining to me why you're acting so ill-mannered at this particular moment? Would you please explain to me why you are so vindictive and you are so defensive because they said something to something? Have you ever run into anybody and when you run into them, you happen to be the bat that lit the fuse yeah. and they blew all over the lot and they blew all over you and they ate you up hair high and all until you stood there and you could feel the blood dripping out of your soul, and you wondered what on earth did you do, or why did you have to say that to get that explosion? In case you don't know it, you are a blessing to that person because you're going to put all of that and worms and all of that and all of that and all of that. And then I hope you are smart enough when you see all the worms that you have puked up. I'm going to say it real ignorant. On the ground, and you smell all of that sin, and you see how all you've acted, I hope to God that you're smooth enough, spiritual enough, and honest enough to say, well, it was not what you And when you see all that garbage that is coming out of your volcano, would you be honest enough to say, Thank you, Jesus. Now you don't have to get wrong to say this. Thank you, sir, for saying what you said. I'm so sorry that I had such a food. But you didn't be afraid because I now know how far I am. Would you please pray for me and ask God It does not mean that you do not have the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that you have not been baptized in Jesus' name. It does not mean that you have not had God in your life. But there is a condition that exists in your heart and your life and you need to live this. What it means to everlasting people. Ain't we having a time? I don't know why that some people wants to be so hard on some people. I'm going to tell you why it is a lot of times. It's because that we would like to appear lily white and that we don't even know anything about what they're talking about. And we're going to pose as some tight, wasted Pharisee. My Lord and my God. On earth, I never in all of my life know you've had several dramas of that, but you don't want anybody to know it. And if you keep on talking, you're going to be lying before it's over with. See, I'm talking to you about where we live. We need to know how to control this flesh. 
And the devil, a lot of times, will tell a child of God who is not properly schooled in the things of God. Well, you did that, old buddy. You just well to quit. Who did you say told you that? Say it. Say it. Say it. Since when was his mouth a prayer book? And when did he learn to tell the truth? And listen who you are listening to. And listen who are you are taking advice from. And listen to me who is superintending your life. You mean to tell me with the Holy Spirit because you acted up and the devil comes along and tells you some kind of a bear tale and Jesus said, he, Jesus put his biography in one verse of scripture and you know what it was? He is a liar and the father of lies that is Satan's And now then, I've got the Holy Spirit and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what he has to say to me and I'm going to believe it letter perfect. But the things that Jesus has said for me, if I walk after the flesh, I'll, I won't fulfill the spirit. I won't do the wishes of God. I will not be parallel with overcoming my flesh. But I'm going to because the devil said, you just as well. I've heard people say this. Well, you know, I'll tell you why I've been going to that church. I want you to listen to this. It's going to be real good. Now, tell me why I quit going to church. Well, how do you do that? I'm going to show you what you've done. How do you know what it is? I said, well, the fellow works with me. Does that make him a hypocrite because he works with you? Well, he said something to me one day and hurt my feelings. Does that make him hypocrite because it hurts your feelings? And besides, how is it that you know a hypocrite if you know one? That means that you yourself need know What's right? Why aren't you doing it? Right. But no, you're going to be a cheapskate. You're going to act real foolish. And you're not going to tell yourself the truth. Because you've got a lot of wild food you want to sow. You've got a lot of hobnobbing you want to do. You've got a lot of acting up you want to do. So you're going to say, the reason I don't belong to that church is because of the hypocrites. The reason you don't belong is because of your own filthy heart. That's why you don't belong. One fellow said to me one time, years ago, he's about six foot six. Boy, he's one of them great, big, broad-shouldered, robust, double-jointed Texans. And he lived in Livingston, Texas. And he came to me one time and heard me preach. And he came up and said, I want to ask you a question. 
He said, you're not very long ago. He came to the altar that night. He said, you're not very long ago, Brother Deesa. I came to seek the Lord in my home church. And said, so when I came to seek the Lord in my home church, said, I heard the voice of the hypocrite behind me. I said, really? <laughs> so I went to ask him a question. I said, boy, this is going to be good. I got me a front line seat. I'm going, to, I'm going to find me something out here right here now. <laughs> Somebody said, how did you find it out about me? Listen. Just listen. People tell you things. He said, now, I'll tell you why I don't have the Holy Ghost. And I want you to hear this. He said, when I heard that hypocrite, I quit right then and got up. I said, you did? He said, yes. I said, why? He said, I didn't want that hypocrite praying for me. I said, do you think that that hypocrite would stop God from hearing your prayer? Well, he said, uh, uh, no, I don't suppose it would. I said, do you think the hypocrite could keep you, if he was a hypocrite, you said he is, I didn't say he is. Do you think that would keep God from giving the Holy Spirit? Well, he said, no. He said, well, don't you think I did right? See, that's what he wanted me to say all the time. I said, no. Not that loud. He said, why? And I explained to him, I said, if God would ignore the hypocrite and wouldn't have hindered your prayer, and uh, you could have went ahead and you could have gone ahead and confessed your sins, and the Lord would have accepted your repentance, I said, what would have kept you from getting the Holy Spirit? Here's the bottom of the whole thing. He wouldn't forgive the man of his sins, therefore... He couldn't get any. Now, the tongue affects all things. It says here, it's set on fire that burns So when you get the Holy Spirit, at the first time you have a hard lot. Please don't get aggravated at the minister. Don't get aggravated at the deacon board. Don't get aggravated at the Sunday school teacher. Don't get aggravated to anybody. Would you mind going home and praying through? If I were going to let anybody run me out of the house of God, do you think I'd let a hypocrite run me out? Do you think I'd let a liar? Or a thief, or a gossiper, or somebody who was a tail bearer. If I were going to quit living for God, I wouldn't quit because of that. And that's not the reason you quit either. You quit because you wouldn't forgive. Here, not very long ago, our Treasurer. No, our secretary, the man that hounds all the tithing accounts. Brother Stan Woolley uh, knows of whom I speak. Brother Stone, he told me about an incident that happened to him when he was a little boy. 
I listened very carefully. And he said, from that day, Brother D's, until this day, I have never let myself get very close to anybody, nor do I take a great lot of confidence in things that people tell me. He is, he is a full-blood Bermudian uh, subject. That means he's full-blood English, and he is all the way, and he's an accountant. So when he told me about that, I said to him, it might be a good idea if you would make some plan to forgive that fellow. He said, what did you say? <laughs> I said it might be a good idea if you would make some type of plans to forgive that poor thing. He said, do you reckon I have never forgiven him? I said, all I know about it is what you announced. You've never let anybody else try that on you because you never have offered yourself that freely. You have vindicated and garrisoned your life, all of your life, and you have never exposed yourself to that type of activity again. He said, do you reckon that's the truth? Well, I said, maybe we, you ought to do a little praying about it. See, it's better to do it that way than it is to say, bless God, why don't you forgive? What did you do? What can I do? Nothing. Can't do anything. You say, well, I'll give them a piece of my mind. You're right, shut your mind. <laughs> Be careful, you might not have any left. Keep dividing it. <laughs> he came back the next day. He said, I'm oh, I said, why don't we forgive the poor thing? Do you reckon he's that mean and he's that deserving? He said, no. He came back to me later. He said, well, that, that second time he came. He said, you know, Brother Dees, he said, uh, I never dreamed that I was still holding against that fella. But he was. You want to tell me, you want me to tell you why that God has never been able to deal with some people's sins? and some of their weaknesses and some of their spiritual maladies is because you are holding against people things that they did to you when you were a child, when you were an, an infant in this salvation. You lack the spirit of forgiveness. 
you're a scaredy cat. I'm going to tell you why you're a scaredy cat. You got out there, you gave yourself to people, and they hurt you. And you love yourself so stinking much until you never have that out there since. Until I'm not gonna ever, 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 ever. I tell you why I don't teach that Sunday school play. I taught it one time and somebody criticized me, and I ain't teaching no more. I'm not gonna get hurt like that anymore. You're a scary cat. You got a fine spring for a backbone. You love yourself so stinking much. Until you are not willing to endure one good headache, one thing for Jesus Christ. Oh, no wonder you are cold. No wonder you are in debt. No wonder you never win any soul. No wonder you never feel the blessing of God. No wonder you never feel the prostration of the Holy Spirit. No wonder you have the pastor talk. No wonder you get and talk and talk and break and boom and you criticize everybody. You got no confidence in yourself. Suppose that when I got the first time, thirty-three years ago, when I was preaching, and I got that song. I said, I'm never going to preach again. I've got as much right to do that as you have. Yeah, right. I've got as much right to act like that as you have. If I want more of the pulpit and another for the people, then the preacher's going to have a room that you Your tongue has such all the areas of your life. And here you have stood, and God forgave you of all of the empathy and the ugliness and all the blessedness and darkness. And because a person has done one thing to you, you Spiritually ill mannered, and how utterly conceited, and how self loved you must be. No wonder you have never produced any righteous fruit for Almighty God. You will have a comrade that is your idea again. I don't think that much of myself. I don't love myself that much. I don't want to live for the God again. I'm 
And that's the reason that some people never do anything. And there are other people that will go ahead and do it. They'll bleed, they're cut open, they're killed, they're lying on, they're chewed on, they're talked about, they're ridiculed, they're coming out of the sky. And just as sure as you start winning, go many souls in this church, there'll be some more moths that sit around here and criticize you. You need to smoke them Pharisees out of here. That's a proof. To you about us. There never would be, there never would have ever been in the spirit, in all of our churches, if we had the dust and the grace and the love and the forgiveness. Why am I saying so much about this? I hope I smoke some of you out and you have to climb the inside of that tree and go out and not hold about half that big. Bring that squeeze every bit of that out of you that needs to be squeezed out of Whatever you do, whatever you say, that's up to you. Say what you want to say. Amen. I'm not afraid of your coming. I'm not afraid of your mind. I'm not afraid of your Say, girl, I didn't go out here in the alley to tell you. I'm coming here from the platform. What did the great commission say? Would you please quote for me? Go in and talk. Oh, all the world. All the world? Are you still What about you? Are you afraid? Yeah, some of you are. You're scared of cats. Why don't you ask God to grow you some grit? Grow you some backbone. That's it. Thank <laughs> you. 
can do with the areas of your life that you have always loved. You always And the reason he can't take you the reason he's never got me that is because you have never been at your soul before time. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, yes, it makes you love. We can be so silly. Let's all confess. We have been ignorant. We have been stupid. We have been crazy. We have been loved. poor stinking conceited race thinks they're better than anybody else until they learn enough that they're not. Somebody told something on me, and I've never been back. In other words, you're going to let the lie out of carnality be your superintendent instead of the Holy Spirit giving you orders. And the lie is going to be your captain. The lie is going to be your general. The lie is going to be your leadership. there and I've got a duty. Forgiveness. 
Some of us is as tight as the bark on a hick on a tree when it comes to giving ourselves to God. We're just as stingy and full of misery as we can be. We're as mercenary as they come. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about with your body and with your soul and with your spirit. Did you know that you don't belong to yourself? How they bought you. You talk That'll help us. We'd like to do this a full corn. You see no goosey corn? Just couldn't eat any more corn. And I've caught me some. Oh, Lord, I'm highly investigated. I caught me an old goose one time. What in the world's wrong? And I slipped it behind the thing, caught it. And that corn was right to here. And I tried to hit him out. I don't know whether I helped him not. I might have helped him clear it But I pushed on it and it wouldn't go. Pushed on it again and it wouldn't go. And I said, wait a minute here. I might break his old goozle. I better let that alone. So we got to swap. That thing, that song. I love that song. The love of God's greatest thing in all the world. See, if you get enough of this love of God here, get her. You don't put a lot of this messing around. Now, what is it? Uh, all, here's, the, here's the summation. And here's what, what Paul was trying to get over there in the Roman epistle. He said this. <clears throat> the law can be summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Praise God. Now, boy, that putting it in concentrated form. You talk about H-bomb and A-bomb. That'll blow you apart. Jesus, I love you because you are so sweet. Jesus, I love you. Oh, 
Somebody's got to get on the inside and start kicking like poor old John was kicking on the belly of that bucket. He thought, my God, what am I falling down? Boom! Hit him again. Oh, everywhere he is east. I can just see him turning around that way of belly. Lord, which is it? Which one is it? You told us.
I just want to see. There's got to be a good chance right there. You see, when I held my hand, you either have gone blind, or else you can't see, or you're not paying any attention. Let's do it over. We're going to let's go. And that's all you got to do something. Sometimes we come to church and we just stand out and take everything we're granted. We're going to preach good. We're going to sing a great song and we're all going home. No, we're not going to do that. You see, uh -uh. don't you come away expecting no such events as that. <laughs> Boy, we're going to have church. We're going to get with the truth. We're going to get with the spirit. We're going to let Oh, yeah. Oh, everyone say, Oh,
person that will make you do your best. Huh? I want your best. I don't want your half best. I want your best. I don't want 90% of it. I want 100% of it. For whom? For And if you ever get the right tapes playing and ever play the right records and ever do the right, right programming, You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what the Lord said to do with us. Don't you think the Lord has done miracles considering what he's got to work with? Amen. In fact, I don't know how he did it. Lord Jesus, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. Now then, listen to this. The tongue is an insubordinate subject. Now, the word insubordinate means lawless, stubborn, hard to control. Have you ever said things and you wished you hadn't said them? My God, my God, how many times have we all done that? And we'll do it again. Somebody said, you're planning to? Not exactly, but sometimes we fail to let the Holy Spirit lead me. But we ought to find out after a while that uh, considering the condition and what we are, that we need help. Right. And quit holding reservations. I say, quit holding reservations. We've all and I really don't know how many reservations some of us may be holding even now. And isn't the Lord good? He just helps right on. He just rides right with us. If we fall down, he falls down. We get up, he gets up. Because about the only way that you could ever get him out if he ever comes, is that so long you continually and premeditatedly and consistently rebel right. until after a while, he does say, Brother McGee, there are some sins that I tell you, you are not to pray for. There is a sin. Now, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit and the sinning against the Holy Spirit and a reprobate and an apostate is a location. 
it's a multiple of conditions that contribute to long overdue rebellion. And so, the tongue is full of deadly poison. Now you get this one. Impatient with marvelous effects. Now, this tape recorder here, it's not bothering me, but if you're wondering whether or not there is a canary in the house, there is not. It sometimes acts up. I wish it would be nice now, so it won't distract you. So don't worry about it. Now the Bible says the tongue is full of deadly poison. Now you listen to the meaning. This is out of Webster. With marvelous effects, noxious, dangerous effects upon anything And the tongue is quite capable of reproducing or producing this. That which destroys moral purity, health, malignity, the tongue has a limit of slowly and surely devouring you and others that you use it against in an inflammatory and a vindicative and a decisive manner. Did you know that our tongue was so qualified to do so many ugly things? It can eat you up like cancer. It can be one form of cancer. It can eat all of the life and the color and the zest and the zeal and the vibrancy and the joy and the beauty of your experience away. You can let your tongue be so disqualified. I mean, how? Not disqualified. You can let your tongue be so free to express yourself at various occasions until, bless your heart, after a while, you have given it so much freedom until there is no way on earth it has consumed. You are carrying this on board. Maybe it is hindering somebody. Why don't you stop it and you can get it transferred some other time, okay? Thank you. Now you think about that. We are carrying, we are carrying in our control. Now you think about it. We've got rattlesnakes on board. We've got strychnine on board. We've got malignity on board. 
that your heart is with us. That your heart is present. We will have and love and remember that it's unbeatable. It's lost. It's hard. It's hard to find it. To why some people will take the chance with their mouth that they will take, uh, it, is, it is because that you are not spiritual enough to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. You ought to read ever so often the entire third chapter of James. And he is saying in that entire third chapter, a sinner said, I summed up like this. The reality of faith tested by control of the tongue. If you're not real, your tongue will tell it. If you're not real, the tongue will be your FBI that will discover the lie. If you're not real, your tongue will let it If you're a thing and a sweet thing and you've got a human condition, you, your tongue will let it Because when you are talking about a Holy Spirit-filled person, or a person that has had the Holy Spirit, or a person that is endeavoring to live for God, and they've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you are working against anybody that has the Holy Spirit, you are working against Jesus Christ. How can I work against him? And Paul illustrates it like this. He says, no man ever hated his own flesh. Have you seen me trying to cut my little finger off since I've been here with some kind of outfit? And I'm downstairs and I'm looking all around. I'm going everywhere. I'm opening every door and opening every drawer. Somebody said, what you looking for? I'm looking for a hatchet. I intend to throw off my left little finger. Well, that's just like people when they're trying to find fault and aggravate and kick up a fuss and blab and yak and talk and gossip and bear false witness. You're trying to kill somebody. You're a How much power does it need to be? You say, but Brother D, they didn't do right. What a big deal. I know they don't do right. I know they haven't done right. They don't have to do right. But what right do you have to be equally as they are? You say, well, how in the world do you handle them? You don't. Forget it. If they've got an office in the church and you're the pastor and there's some immoral sin involved, 
you have to go to them in a common way and say, look, I'm going to have to relieve you of that. Somebody said, did you ever do that? Sure have. But I've never had to do it very many times. I don't like that. There's an area in a person's life that's only big enough for God and themselves, and when I get in there, that's too much. But if you get immoral and you've got an office, I'm going to get in there. You force me to get in there. Right. And then you're not going to like that. Well, why don't you be straight? Why don't you have a clean? Why don't you be clean? Why don't you be clean? Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? For God. The Lord is here for the Lord. And God is here for the Lord. You don't hear Christians on the field. But I'm sorry. Your life is not a perfect home. You'll have to give up the Sunday school class. You don't hear Christians out of people by doing that. You're trying to say, God, the work of the Lord. They've got to love God enough to repent and clean up, and that will make a Christian out of it. But me telling them they can't do it, that won't make them love God. All right. The scripture forbids us using any member of our body to promote unrighteousness. Brother Owens, would you read uh, Romans 6 and 13? Now you listen to this. This is talking to every last one of us. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But no. But, uh, we'll, but we'll go ahead and yield our members. We will allow ourselves the privilege of saying some things that we should not say. And the Bible said don't do that. But we did it. And he says, I want to change the members or a member of my body and advertise me. And when I take my tongue, I use it in an unchristian way to hurt or harm anyone. I am not acting under the proper inspiration. The Lord doesn't want it that way. You can't make anybody do anything. If you do, God won't honor it. If you've got to back somebody up against the wall and say, look at here. Why, if he acts under that impulse, and did you know repentance is a voluntary act of the will, right. and that the church is not a transformed That's right. You voluntarily make up in your mind, I wish I could get rid of some of this ugliness I've got, and I want the Lord to forgive me. And I'd like for you to come and pray for me. You see, it is a voluntary act of the will. I am guilty. I want forgiveness. And until we get to the place that we can voluntarily give our thoughts and our time and our prayers and do it without doing we will not get a reward unless we do. 
Well, where are we? Here we are. So the scripture forbids you thinking, now let's suppose that I were to take my rifle and I'd say, well, I'm going to kill that fellow. I'm going to cut his throat. That makes me feel bad to say it. Dear Lord. But it happens. I'm not to take my hand and kill anybody. But we have the ability to take our mouth and do a character assassination job. I don't know how people pray. Have you ever seen anybody, you know, have something they felt like they need to say and wait on that while? They saw that fellow and all of the back slapping and the carrying on. Oh. I'm standing there. I thought, my Lord, have mercy. Was he sincere then, or is he sincere now? When did he tell the truth, then All right. or now? All right. Did you know we are very capable of being and saying things that are ambiguous? They can be interpreted perhaps more than one fashion. And the Lord wants us to pray. Said when you see somebody do something they ought not to do, consider yourself lest you be tempted, fall into the same condemnation. I'm afraid to do some things to tell you the truth because I never know when I'm going to need something real bad. If I'm unmerciful and I'm not kind as I ought to be, then I'm going to end up at the, on the totem pole and there's not going to be any grace there. And then I'm going to wonder, have you ever seen people, if their child came to the altar and they wanted the old church to pray and cry? And maybe even go to the past said, I've been thinking of such a so-and-so had something against me all the time. She never prayed like that night, my child. How many mother sons have you prayed with, you who are doing the talking? All right. One lady said one time to one of our men says, No, Well, he said, I'm not about to do that because you didn't come pray with me. What's that? How is it that we can expect so much out of some people sometimes to do so little ourselves? I never see anybody's child fall in that altar. And I've had them to fall in our altars. And many of us around there weeping and crying and praying for them. And the mother and the father got up and went home and went to bed. And their children, both of them, on their road to hell. I can't imagine that. I never will forget when my oldest one got in high school and got taken up in the music field and just actually quit living for God. 
And at night, I would wake up morbid. And I would go in his room while he was asleep. And I would get out in his room and pray and weep over his sins. And say, Lord, you can talk to him right now while I'm in here. You don't have to wake him up to show him anything. You can slip right into his little old mind. I love him, Jesus. I love him, Jesus. I love him. I love him. Oh, God, he can't be lost. I won't let him be lost. I love him. I love him. I love him. And one night I was in there, and he woke up. He said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying for you. He lay back down. He later told me, he said, my God, they'd like to kill me. I said, you need to die. I was asking God to kill you right there. Not physically, but to kill all of that business out there. Oh, if you'll weep over their sins. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Can you give them to be lost? Uh -huh. Oh, no. Oh, don't tell me that. What are you talking about? Well, you're not talking to me. You're talking to somebody else. need praying fathers. You know, Dad, what those boys need to hear you do? We pray. Somebody said, what are they doing? What are they praying about? Yeah. Pray. He's not going to do it. He worked all day. No. He's fasting and praying. That all of us might know the Lord. Don't tell me that won't work. Don't tell me that won't work. Friend, that'll work. It'll work. One, one. If nothing else, Jesus, make him an invalid. And I'll arrange my will and set up a trust fund with whatever you give me to take care of him as long as he lives. Just don't let him be lost. And I finally told him one day, I said, listen, you better do you some praying. I'm going to pray a prayer. He looked at me and said, Dad, don't pray for God to smite me. I said, you better do this and pray. Because I said, I'd sell every drop of blood in my veins and give to Jesus if he wants it. It'll save you. Yeah. Oh, we need to be serious. We need to be serious. Many of our teenagers today are wrestling with problems that you dads never did wrestle with. I've got about 200 teenagers in my church, and I've, I've had two, and some of them have more than that. And you understand more than I do about it. But I'm telling you, they're not all men. They're not all women. They're teenagers. You're going to have to win. I'm 
They are wrestling with emotional desires. They are wrestling with love. If you are not careful, you will lose on the there are things loose in our world today that was not loose, Brother McGee, when I was a teenager and when you were a teenager. There have been inventors of evil things, if you please. And then you need to tell me, as a New Testament Christian, I said, Allah, you speak to So says this Bible. That's right. That's right. If I know not the God, and I know not the God, if I know not the God, if I know not the God, of course, there's three classes of people, especially, that I want to believe in my Christianity. One is my wonderful wife and my boys. The other is my church. And the other is you. Because I can't afford to make a mistake about some of this. If I do, I'll lose my soul. And I'll help others to lose their soul. And you mean to tell me that I don't need to be careful? What are you talking about? Can't we be? You love me? Let's all stand. Dear Lord, we just well quit. I'm not through, but we'll just quit. Because I'm I'm too full to talk. Bless you. How many of you feel the Holy Spirit here? That's crazy. you in the building who may have little children be careful with them they are so sweet and precious don't ever tell them anything that would ever make them doubt you 
And if you are like I am, oftentimes you are mistaken as a parent and you have to go confess to your children. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Jesus. Yes, damn. As a parent, we can take advantage. The Bible said for us not to provoke our children to wrath. Did it say? Am I in the book? You have a little eternal subject that's never going to die. Whatever they hear you say, whatever they see, the way you act, and the things that you make important, and the things that are hurtful in your life, where God and the Bible and the ministry and the Sunday school teacher is concerned, will be the four mountain peaks on which they settle as their real values. Don't betray them. Don't rob them. Please don't cheat them. I think that my child is capable and worthy of more than a hypocritical smear out of my life. I think, Brother McGee, they are do my best. I don't know what this is. I have no idea what my best is. If I were to meet it in the middle of the road, I don't know whether I'd even recognize it or not. But whatever I am supposed to do to give them the proper value that it all about the man of God, the of God, the house of God, and the word of God, the word of his then Lord, don't let me be a John Dillinger. Don't let me be a Clyde Barrow. Don't let me be a Pretty Bar Floyd. Don't let me be a modern day bandit. Help my mouth to be in tune with my heart and don't let me be a hypocrite. There is nobody that is capable of being a better hypocrite if we decide we want to. We can do it. We can do it. We can lace us up a little bunch of Phariseeism, and we can get hung up on a few little outward ostentatious, that means things that you come about with a great big flare, and you specialize in, and they actually don't mean a thing in the world. And we can major in minors, and we can major in majors, and miss the rapture. You were never given the Holy Spirit for your flesh to override the love of God. You were never given the Holy Spirit to be a failure. He gave it to you to be a success. And every one of you is an individual success. And if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, and you will listen to the Word of God, and you will listen to the ministry, and the 
There's no way for you to miss the rapture. He so you could make it. So why don't you do your best for Jesus? If I plan to do my best for anybody, I want it to be for him, whatever this is. Again, I confess, I do not know what this is. But have you ever looked at that scripture there in the book of the Revelation? Said, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And I have aggravated God for years trying to find out what that is. I don't know yet. What is that? But you know how poor old ignorant me prays? I say, dear Lord, whatever that is, would you give me about a 55-gallon drum of that, and I'll be so greasy-eyed all the time until I'll never miss a thing you want me to see. That's the only way I know to pray when I don't understand anything. Good day. Thank you.